they called me the next day and asked me, how many more can you do? And it was also their posture that I knew that this was big. Welcome to No Limits. I'm Rebecca Jarvis. Each week, we're talking to women playing at the top of their game. So how are they doing it? Whether you're looking for answers or you just want to hear a good story, you're in the right place. Here with us today is a woman who's made it her mission to empower others. Early in her career, she did this as a makeup artist and eventually as a stylist. Today, in addition to co-hosting Fox's Emmy-nominated show, The Real, she's an executive producer of How Do I Look Asia? And today, her most serious work is as an ambassador for the Pacific Lynx Foundation, an organization committed to rescuing women and children from sex trafficking. Jeannie Mai, welcome to No Limits. I'm so excited to be here. This is awesome. Thank um, you for having me. I'm so glad you're here. So you grew up in San Jose. Yes. And I read, <laughs> I read four-bedroom house, 15 people. Almost. Three-bedroom house. Three-bedroom. Yes. I was like, let me downgrade it just a bit. Yeah, three-bedroom house. Um, my first, The first house my parents bought when they immigrated here from Vietnam to the U.S. And we had uh, 15 members because... We sponsored the rest of the family that couldn't escape from Vietnam into our home. So it was an amazing experience from the get. What do you remember from the childhood? Because I would imagine if your parents were helping to sponsor other members of your family, it was very clear to you in that moment what was going on in the world. Absolutely. I had an awareness that was a little different in the sense that I knew we were very honored to be in the U.S. You know how some people, when they're born, they just, you know, you automatically take in whatever is home, wherever you live. This belongs to me. You you unlock the door to your house. You walk in. You lay on your couch. This all belongs to me. It's safe. I had a different perspective. My parents taught me that we were very blessed to be in America that we were grateful and that we were welcomed in. It wasn't something like I have the right to be an American, if that makes sense. It was a much more humble way of you are an American because you're born on the soil, but we are Vietnamese and they welcomed us here. And that's the only reason why we were able to have you here. So I actually really embrace that understanding a lot today better than just assuming that I deserve everything because I'm American, because I believe that it's such a privilege to live here that it it, it keeps helps me to keep that perspective so that I keep my hold myself accountable as an American and as a Vietnamese representative to do right in our country. How does that play out for you in, in real terms? In real terms, it, it actually really, really helps as a backbone for me to remember how to give back. Like, I'm so thankful that I have the platform I have today. Who would have thought that a girl from San Jose, California on, you know, a a very, like, low-income household neighborhood, predominantly African-American and Hispanic, one little Vietnamese family um, with a girl and a dream who is a little cray-cray, a little (laughs) overly sparkly in school, and... Not doing well in school. Um, you didn't, didn't do well in school. No, because I really loved engaging with people and I loved building relationships. So on paper, 
just that whole kind of studious, like just I, I made my Asian people very, um, very upset. I feel like because all my my family members were like, "Why can't you?" enjoy math and I'm like because it sucks and it's boring you know but if we were going to add my three friends from down the block plus my two friends um, that are flying in then yes okay we have five amazing friends plus an awesome sparkly one great I got my math down but it wasn't and this is kind of how I think about school today too as, as an auntie to a lot of nieces and nephews I want to teach them where it's relatable you know I learned about the Pythagorean theorem and you know um, about matrices and where am I using that today not to say that I you know dismiss my education but I just I like it to be applicable I want it to I, and so today when I talk to kids I always talk about the things that they should learn in a relatable sense so that they can see the world around them and see how they apply the things that we need to learn in school you know Social studies was awesome for me. PE, obviously recess. I was queen. Um, but <laughs> you loved recess. Oh my god! Just interacting with people. But you can imagine, as um, as a uh, a Vietnamese girl growing up with the challenges of you know uh, the Asian community is very. Um, they take studying and they take uh, schools and grades very seriously, right? Because you want to succeed. It's almost like you have this little reminder that you you earned it here. So don't mess it up, you know? So that is a pressure, but it's a great encourager to do be- your best. However, for me, it took me a while to learn that my giftings wasn't really the type of gifting that you could grade. My gifting was to relate with people and to really empathize and understand where people come from. I am obsessed with people's stories. I love learning what makes somebody think the way they do and why they react the way they do. I love walking into someone's household, smelling the different scents and seeing their culture, how they think and act and cook, how they interact with each other. I love the story of someone's background. And so it it really... It really uh, humbles me to see that God aligned me so that I became where I am today, where I am a television personality. I used understanding people's story as the backbone to their style. I knew that people who have good style today, like myself, uh, have that because they know who they are. They own it. So even if you see that person who's wearing like five different colors and a crazy hairstyle, but they're strutting down that street, you know that they they got swag because they know their style story. So that started out my career. And then today it became now television host on the show called The Real, where I get to be myself and celebrate other people's stories. How did you get from that point of humble beginning to first TV show? Oh, I really worked for it. So in San Jose, obviously, it's not like a, you know, an insane Hollywood scene happening out there. But as soon as I began to understand my love to celebrate women and get them to feel gorgeous about themselves, I started out in makeup. My mom uh, you know, not with us not having a lot of money to be able to spend on like designer brands and stuff, we really used our creativity to create the look. You know, whether it was makeup or a crazy winged liner out of different colors, or going to Joanne Fabrics or Michaels and um, emulating the styles that we saw in magazines, we would totally go to estate sales and buy you know brooches and then take a tweed jacket from Ross and then take out the plastic button and put the the brooch there so that it just looked so luxurious and and I lived in this this play world that was so fun and I taught women how to do this in my neighborhood and in my my community. So I built a little um 
a, a kind of a business by doing people's makeup and also styling them. Were you charging for it? Uh, girlfriend, yes. Oh my god, we got to make. <laughs> How a did coin you set your here. prices? I usually did like makeup for fifty to seventy-five. If it was something for every day, if it was for a wedding, then I did one hundred and fifty to three hundred. So that's then some would, decent money. It is. It's really great for someone who was sixteen at the time. So I was doing makeup at sixteen. Then I uh, moved. I actually ran away from home around 16, my parents didn't really get the path that I was going in. So I knew that I had to show them what I intended to do. So I moved to San Francisco and I started to work at different places that would pay me cash under the table. Thank you so much, San Francisco. There were some amazing places that took me in. When you ran away, it was to San Francisco? Yes. Okay. Yes, from San Jose. Which and is what did your parents say? They didn't, they couldn't say much. My mom is, if you know Mama Mai, if you know anything about my life, Mama Mai, she's a very outspoken, very um, courageous uh, live outside the lines type of woman. So she knew that I was, you know, part, she, I was, I'm a part of her. So she could see that happening. She ran away from her father because her father was so strict. So she kind of let me breathe there, but I also just had to follow my dream. And what I did is when, once I had that distance, I communicated with them through letters and phone calls so that they knew I was okay. They knew I had a plan. They heard my day to day schedule so they could see I was, I was chasing after that dream. So it wasn't like I cut them off and didn't let them in on what the bigger picture was. I think that's the biggest key when you have to kind of walk your own line away from your parents. You just got to, Keep them still a part of the strategy so they know that you're not cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. <laughs> but right? you're 16 years old. Right. But I was doing that. Yeah, absolutely. So so then I'm 16 through 18. I worked in the city and I did makeup and, and styled and all that. And I started to work for really wealthy clients just because I worked at different clubs where there was a great clientele that was there. And on one particular trip – I flew to New York because I was working on a an, an actor. She was uh, she was basically doing theater. She did cabaret, and so I was doing face charts, which is basically like you know a um, piece of paper with a face on it, and you draw out the makeup looks. She was showing me her outfits. I was creating the looks. I was about eighteen then, and oh my gosh, I had the most amazing experience. It was my first time sitting in first class. The gentleman next to me complimented my face charts and said, "Oh my god, those are really good. You're an artist." And I was like, "Thank you." And he's like, uh, "Tell me about." What, what it is you do. I told him a little bit about myself. At the end of the flight, he handed me a card and he said, would you want to work a, 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 a job or, is, or do you like freelancing? I was like, I'll take whatever I can get, please. And he said, okay, well, meet me in Union Square when you get back. Meet me at this location, da, da, da. You're very trusting. Yeah, but when you're hungry and you're a hustler, you're going to do what it takes because you know your dream and you know that you've got nothing else to lose because you've got everything to gain. You know, really trusting yourself and knowing that if you're doing everything you can towards that one vision and if life puts opportunities and doors in front of you, as long as you're not selling your morale short, go. Go until God says no. So you, know? you held on to your morals. A hundred percent. Yeah. Throughout this whole thing. Yes. As long as I wasn't, you, you know, had... doing something that was, you know, like distasteful to my my integrity and my character. Of course. Absolutely. I would take on anything. Um so you go and meet him. So I go to this location and it turned out that I, I walked in and he wasn't there. There was a manager there. It was a Mac store. And the woman met me and she said, you met with the founder of Mac Cosmetics. And he called me and he said, you absolutely need to be a part of Mac, the Mac world. So I'm going to give you an interview and see if you can do this. So lo and behold, I nail the interview. I work at the Mac store um, and quickly I get 
uh, promoted to become the youngest trainer in MAC history um, of the Northwest region. You're 18, 19 at this time? 19 at this point. 19 years old. Mm -hmm. And you are the trainer for MAC Cosmetics. Yes. Yes. And so that opened doors for me to travel, start going backstage to different shows. Is any of this hitting you at the time that it's, does it feel surreal? Does it feel like a dream is now coming to fruition? What's going through your head at the time? Are you recognizing that this is like a a shot in a million or something? I know because at the time, like my head is so low and and dipped into it. Like you're almost like a relay race where you're just running so hard that all you see is the pavement and the baton you're supposed to keep passing on. That I didn't like lift my head to look around me. I do remember a time though when I when I had to negotiate my my payroll and my salary, and I didn't know what a salary meant. I didn't know like because I got paid for each job. You do a job, you get paid. So I didn't know what a salary was. And I remember I had to call home to my dad, and I was calculating the hours that I worked. I calculated what I usually get from regular clients, and as you know, retail is a totally different price. And I was like, well, I bring in this type of money um, because I have this type of talent that you didn't, that you can't pay for. And so just negotiating my salary and then my father saying, you're making more than I've made raising you three kids. This is amazing. That was huge to me. I was like, really, this is good. Like I didn't know. And that was your first job. That was my first job. First real job that was like Involved government papers and, and things like that. Yes. <laughs> and in the context of that negotiation, how did you go into it? I learned some adult words that I should use. From your dad? Yes, from what my were the dad. Words? Um, it was sweat, worth. He said all the, the time and energy that you put into training these people, that should be accounted for. He also talked about um, the, uh, the, the skill set that I had as far as my experience, my repertoire in the Bay Area, the um, advantage I had over these other makeup artists because I was self-taught. I also remember the tax part of it, all the one zero ones, like the, what I'm <laughs> claiming. He was he was calculating in how much I make when I claim and, and having to spell that out for them, what that means for me. So actually my wage should be this much because when you really deduct that down, don't give me that number and think that that's what I'm getting. I think this is what I should be getting without all the ta- taxes after you think about the taxes being removed. And how did the negotiation go? It went great. You got what it. you asked for. Yes. Yes. Congratulations. That's pretty rare. Yeah, it was in, it was insane and I remember talking with other artists later and learning that that was that was it actually came with a price because after I so quickly jumped to that position, I got a lot of shade from all of the amazing hardworking employees and trainers around me that had been there in such, you know, for many more years than I have. You have to, you know, work at least five to 10 years to get yourself into that role. So for me to be promoted so quickly, there, it, that was hard. Jealousy. I wasn't ready for that. I wasn't ready for the comparisons and the uh, the nastiness. And um, that was hurtful. I had to then learn how to kind of build a, a sense of armor and a, and a poker face that it wasn't affecting me because I was, I, you know, there are a few scenes where I did end up, you know, crying by myself in the back room or the stock room or things like that. And when that scene, oh, it's, I I learned very quickly. They see your weakness. Yes, yes. And mistaking my kindness for my weakness. That was something I had to really learn and be firm about my tone and the way I carry myself. 
there was a little bit of early adulting at that point that I wasn't ready for. I want to get to uh, talk a little bit about how that might have helped you in the context of the reel in a second. But how was the leap made from Mac to TV? So um, a few things happened through Mac that was really great. Not only did I get to be placed in front of celebrities like Cindy Lauper to Alicia Keys. Who was your favorite? I would have to say Alicia Keys. She seems so down to earth. She is. She really is. And she um, was one of the first people who I was able to bring in my style influence because she was new at the time. She was um, uh, working on her first album. She was figuring out her beautiful curves that were coming in all new. And I had a sense of um, understanding for women's bodies and the balance and the structures that work best for them. So I was able to run to stores like, oh, my God, I don't even know if anybody remembers this, but like Contempo and Judy's. Of course. And grabbing all these like different pieces and bringing them to her in these bags, ripping them out and tearing <laughs> off tags and putting them on her and stuff. <laughs> so that was when I understood the gravity of – of empowerment that fashion can bring when you help a woman and just that sisterhood that happens in the changing room and all that. So when I would come home to San Jose, a lot of people would ask me about my experience with these celebrities because it was so you know amazing and stargazed. But it built my business because I still kept little clients on the side and I just realized, wow, style, makeup, fashion all go hand in hand. And how can I help more women instead of just this one that I would have to book out for two to three hours and drive to go get to? So in one day, I could only really help three to four women when I could do so much more. So at the time, the only medium was television. Um, radio wasn't visual enough, but television was that that ability to be able to you know teach what I'm teaching and be able to you know um, create an audience. And I knew that I was good at that because when I would go to you know let's say Sandy's house at you know and and. Um, rummage through her closet and teach her all these different silhouettes her friends would all gather on the bed and they would all like break open wine and they would all I knew I could create an audience and I knew that what I was teaching was very um, visceral because the women would learn it and they would take notes and, and I would see the changes in them like ah okay so you understood the power of a belt you got now that you shouldn't wear A-line skirts this is great you've invested in some pants no more capri legs for you you know like things like that <laughs> So I thought, okay, we have to teach more people. So at the time in San Francisco, the only TV stations is KTSF and KTVU. So I went into those stations and I presented the idea of being able to teach like small little style tips. Did you style cold call them? I just walked in. I like you drove up truly and walked in. drove up and walked yes. in and said, I have a bag full of tricks and let me show yes, them to you. Yes, yes. And at the time, they totally were not open to it. They – it was about news. It was about like important things that they were like, this, no, this, you know, won't work. And I said, well, what, like, do you have little areas of breaks that maybe like I could teach something and you just see the response, like how it could do? Cause I promise that women will like it. And to be honest with you, I've watched you guys like at home since I was a kid and it's so boring. It needs <laughs> to be a little prettier. Like it's not. It needs to be a little, yes, you have a lot of news. So have something in between that lightens it up. They had little segments about dogs. And then they would just like put on, uh, oh, they'd put on this blank screen that would tell you that there's a break from now till now, like, an, you know, a half hour break or something. And it would just be like a pretty scene of the Golden Gate Bridge or something. I was like, can I have that time? Like in that time, can I like insert a little lesson or two? So I, I, I put together an idea. They were like, okay, we'll give you one, you know, little portion of that time on KTVU. I was like, okay, great. Golden Gate Bridge, remove that. Let me stand. And we had to figure out like the lighting. They put me in like a newsroom with like a lot of men behind me and guys walking by with coffee mugs. I was like, no, I need like a, you know, just put like a, like a, a pretty, um, um, uh, backsplash behind me. They only had ones that were like 
full of like koi fish and all the stuff. So we turned it around and used the black side of it. So I was in front of it. So I was kind of news reporter-ish. But I used like the screens and the filters they had to put on the lights and make it pretty on me because I know lighting is everything. I knew that through makeup. And I, at the time, didn't know, but I produced my first segment and did, I did a very basic segment about how, um, how, key it is to wear bright colors to pull your outfit together even if you don't have money and how to put an outfit together for 20 bucks so i i use a few of my mama mice tricks like got a few um um odds and ends from michael's showed how a, a regular blouse was brought to a little bit more fabulosity through you know the little um um pins and tricks that i had and then how to match a lip that would offset the color and a little bit of how to take a bang and swoop it over the eye and create a sexy bedroom and it was just great it was done in like 18 minutes so they were happy with that they were happy they were happy did with they it. say come back and do more what they weren't prepared for was the insane amount of calls that came in that told them that i kicked butt like so Did many calls coming in asking people where I brought the bought the stuff. What was the blouse I was holding up? What was oh this was important <laughs> here. I, this is what I didn't realize. As soon as I showed all these products, like you know, they were like, "What lipstick was she talking about? Where did she get that little pin that she was holding? Wait a minute, what nail color is she wearing? What was that blouse? Does it come in different sizes? Is she selling that?" Like they asked all these different questions. That as I walked away, and they called me the next day and asked me, "How many more can you do?" And it was also their posture. That I knew that this was big because the questions they asked were just so like, so how many of these can you do? How, how, how long have you been doing this? Do you think that you can do this for longer? Is it always 18 minutes? Do you usually work with somebody else? Is somebody paying you to do this? Like they were asking me so many questions that I was like, this is more serious than I, I thought. So as I started to do a few more for them just to kind of get used to the camera, I realized because of the flood of calls that always came in and I'd write down all the questions – that there was a dollar sign somewhere in here. And I knew that the only way I could grow within that TV station is if I brought the dollar signs to them, that, that I would get taken care of later on, but that I could be replaceable if somebody could do better than me. So I took that opportunity to start to work with brands. Like I told Mac Cosmetics, hey, I'm going to use your makeup on on you know, on, on, on air at KTVU. Is there something we can give to the viewers or is there something you guys would, you know, is it, what can we give to the TV station for being a live commercial for your brand? And then I'd go into Michael's and I'd say the same thing to them. Or I had a friend who was making like little knit um, necklaces that were made of like uh, gold and, and, and fabric. And I said, if I take 20 of these, how much would you sell them to me for? And so I started to create a profit for the television station at the time that that little segment did nothing with their Golden Gate, Gate Bridge <laughs> sitting there for 20 minutes. Wow. That's so cool. It was really it was really amazing. And I, I actually am coming full circle to what I'm just saying right now. But I learned a little bit of business through that experience about how to make money. Being and how resourceful. To, yes, which would have been awesome had I learned in school. I probably would have jumped to that a lot quicker, but but it was cool. So you start there. You grow from there. It's yes. like wildfire. You're all over the place. You're, does in it feel that area. way? Does it feel that way, by the way? Or does it feel like every single step of the way is like, oh, getting to the next place I want to go? You know, when you keep yourself really busy... And by busy, you're doing the things that all are a part of the plan that you want to make happen. Like if I say I want to be on TV, 
I'm seeing myself pack my luggages, call businesses before they end at six o'clock, um, going around to pick up people's things that they're donating to give to viewers or selling to the station. You're all part of the plan. So you don't feel like it's, oh, oh, you feel like it's yes, yes. At the same time, again, that mean girl thing was following me. Like the news reporters in the stations were definitely side eyeing me, you know, would be a little hostile in the in the hallways. We had like one little restroom where all the news reporters got ready. So if I came in, I was like, excuse me, you know, I noticed like my bags that were on the hooks, like all thrown down. So that that was interesting. That was the one part I wasn't prepared for. Um, I also learned just how far kindness can go. Kindness, oh my gosh. For a girl like myself who, you know, didn't have maybe the most impressive education background and, you know, wasn't the most um, uh, groomed or tailored to be somebody on TV, it was really interesting how just being really genuine and really connecting with people that um, that can help you or not and just being kind, that speaks more volumes than any source of education or any, you know, um, financial background could ever. So you take it from there. Now you have been a correspondent on E! News, Entertainment Tonight. Of course, everyone knows you from How Do I Look? And now you're on The Real. Yes. And I look at that show and things can get very heated there. And I wonder how much, to say the least, I wonder how much all of this translates, that that original experience that you had, you know, people throwing shade, the side eye, whatever you want to call it. How much of that prepared you for what goes down on the reel every day? Ooh, that's a great question. Well, first of all, um, being a part of the reel is one of the dopest, coolest experiences I've ever had Why? in my life. Because I'm working with three amazing women that I freaking love. And when I say that, um, coming you know back to your question, having worked with women where I learned like, oh, there's something out there. Like, don't be naive to, add that, to that. There's definitely something called jealousy um, of competition, comparing one's, oneself to another. It's very catty, like exactly like how I see cats behave with each other. Like, this is crazy. That's out there. I, I don't know it because I'm not that type of girl but that's there and becoming a part of the real and these women adrian houghton tamara maury housley lonnie love these women are not that type at all now they can they can definitely cut you if you if you turn on them the wrong way and we do that all for each other we've got a united bond where we look out for each other but at the same time they're not that way naturally we celebrate one another's strengths we we lift each other up we we are happy for other women who make it and i love it so that part makes it really comfortable however with drama that's come towards the show or maybe you know women who just in our circuit because it the again that area of television is very competitive and as you know the women in daytime television should be growing more there should be more women but that doesn't mean that the women that are there already aren't you know sometimes a certain type of way so yes it did prepare me for that but what I learned is you can't play to it you cannot play Towards it, you can't entertain it. You actually shouldn't even think much about it. And I, the, the, my same just go Godspeed, go f- head forward, worry about my own business and stay in my lane has gotten me where I am today. So it doesn't really mess with my psyche. But it takes a maturity to get there. How did you do that? I had to realize that there's only so much I can care about and especially not care for the ones that don't care for me. 
that was hard because I kind of cared too much. I was, you know, for there are times where I could be that girl that's like, why doesn't she like me? Well, we all want to be accepted. Right. What, What is it? But then that's a part of where my faith comes in, where if you really, if you have a faith, whatever your religious background is, but that should be what you really care about as far as you serving your purpose, you really making the most of having a life, being able to wake up, open your eyes and be able to breathe. That should be what you care most about so that you can serve. So if I'm wasting all my breath and all my energy on somebody who doesn't care about me in that same way, it, it's wasting my time. And I had to learn that. In addition to The Real, you are a producer on Bot, Sold and Returned. Yes. Talk about that and why it's so important to you. Sure. I learned about human trafficking Um A few years ago, um, I was in Vietnam, and a close friend of mine, her lifestyle started to change. I noticed that she was dressing a different way. She was a little bit more secretive about where she worked. And upon doing a little snooping, because I can be nosy at times, I followed her to where she worked one night, and I saw that she actually was employed at a brothel. And when I dug a little deeper about why she worked there, I learned after judging her Uh, a deeper story that involved her uncle having sold her to the brothel so that they could pay off the debt that her family had owed. This was happening in my own country, in Vietnam. To your friend? Yes, to my friend, a very deep family friend. And she had no choice. But her number one priority was to help her family. So it opened my eyes to the – just just so much. The the, – where was the – the legal system. Yes, to take the care legalities of her. behind this. Is there something I could do? Could I turn her her uncle in? What is her mom and dad doing? Her mom and dad knew about it. It was it was a whole situation. And when I backed out a little a little bit more from it and talked to different people, I learned that this is a very common act involved in sex trafficking. And I'm like, what's sex trafficking? Because the word doesn't even correlate what what really goes on out there. And that's when it just hit me like a ton of bricks. The um, the multitude of women that this happens to around the world, that there are more modern-day slaves today than ever before in history, and that it happens even in the U.S. And as I began to just educate myself more with it, I learned of so many more experiences that have happened recently. There was a bust in San Francisco um, at a nail salon. There was a huge sex trafficking bust in Boston. Um, uh, even where my husband lives in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, there was a house that was broken into and nine children were sleeping in that house that were all uh, trafficked in from Peru. So once I knew this, I had to go and meet um, um, the people that were involved in, in, in sex trafficking. So I went to Thailand first and then I started spending time in Vietnam. And in that time, I started to meet with survivors. My most recent trip was from Sapa, Vietnam. And when I hear these incredible stories from women, when I sit there and learned what time they were, were taken in their homes, what happened uh, when they, the many times that they tried to return or escape. Um, I've met women who, uh, one in particular, she tried to escape three times and the three times she didn't make it, the agent, the trafficking agent, branded her on her arm in three different places, six scars, um, to mark that she was territory of that tribe. And this is dark, but when she tried to escape again, he took her and he uh, locked her in a room with four other girls that had tried to escape and beheaded the least attractive one and made the girl sleep in the same room with that victim. So just to look into the face of a woman 
that did nothing to have to be born into a situation where she's helpless and to be a part of a country that really can't reach out to help her. Um, and then to go home bearing these real experiences, you cannot help but do everything you can in every breath you have to fight, to put some type of end to it, to, 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 to change and the world's understanding of what's happening overseas or in, in even our country and to um, try as much as you can just to help these women that are these women and children that need someone to speak up for them. So the film uh, that I'm um, executive producing is actually coming out in a few months. If you follow me on social media at the Jeannie Mai on Instagram, Jeannie Mai on uh, Twitter and Facebook, you'll see me post the news of when that film comes out. And then the one featuring the story of the young girl I just told you, she's going to be telling that um, exact story, will be coming out hopefully at the end of next year. And how is she? Do you, do you speak with her? She's still? good. She's now living at a shelter with the organization I support called Pacific Links Organization. It's in Vietnam. If you go to PacificLinks.org, it's an amazing um, place that funds uh, the shelter so that these survivors can run to because most of them are ostracized from their communities after they tried to come back. Some of their families have left because they were the ones that sold them. Um, and they're just trying to rebuild their lives, try to get a dream um, back on their minds, try to get some money for education, get some hope. And these women, these resilient women are actually the most incredible um, foundations that I've ever met as a human being to be able to do anything. There's nothing that that brings them um, fear because they've just been through so much that they, they're hungry. When you described, you know, do I look back and am I wondering in that time that I was growing up, what am I doing? Did I ever get overwhelmed? Imagine, again, not having any other choice but to be anywhere but here. You will do everything you can to get to that brighter place because it's your livelihood depending on it. Wow. Very powerful stuff. Um, yeah. I ask everybody this question. Worst advice. We yes. all get advice. Yes, that's and a great Most one. of the time people talk about the best advice. I always want to know what the worst advice people get was. The worst advice. I would say it's follow your heart. That's bad advice. Bad advice for me because my heart is so free-spirited and and doesn't really think of the – it doesn't think of the bigger picture. It just thinks about Let's just go leap into the middle of whatever situation and do whatever do do whatever you feel at that moment. I would say I would add to it. It's bad advice, so I'm going to add to it and saying follow your heart, but take your mind with you, because your mind is that translation of your gut, of your soul, of that inner voice that tells you think about this. Tell it's telling you something. Hear it. Your heart doesn't always speak in the, that same tone, but they need to work symbiotically together. So I'd say follow your heart, but Take your mind with you. Fantastic. Jeannie Mai, thank you so much yes. for joining me. Of course. Thank you so much. These are great questions, and I'm honored to be here. I listen to your show, and I love, again, the depth that you bring into every conversation. So thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of No Limits. Remember, if you like what you heard, make sure to subscribe, rate us, and tell your friends. And special thanks to the team here at ABC that helps make this happen. Taylor Dunn, Josh Cohan, Andrew Kelb, Michelle Boncardo, Steve Jones, Annie Osakwe, and Elizabeth Hecht. And join me next Tuesday for an all-new episode of No Limits with Rebecca Jarvis. Until then, take care, be well. 
Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer. We're moms of toddlers and best friends of 20 years. And we both love to talk about being parents, yes, but also pop culture. So we're combining our two interests by talking to celebrities, writers, and fellow scholars of TV and movies. Cinema, really. About what we all can learn from the fictional moms we love to watch. From ABC Audio and Good Morning America, Pop Culture Moms is out now wherever you listen to podcasts.